All right. Well, if you want to uh, take a look at your sermon outline, there are a number of uh, Scripture references listed there. Uh, normally, we will take one section of Scripture and kind of work that over in a uh, Sunday. Uh, but as we've been in some standalone ser- uh, sermons, and I've been doing some topical messages, we have quite a few Scripture references for you today. And uh, we're going to spend most of our time in the first two uh, John 8:44 and 2 Corinthians 11:13 uh, through 15. So if you want to go ahead and get uh, your place uh, in the Bible, we will uh, look at those in just a few minutes. Well, in 1995, there was a movie that you probably shouldn't watch, but that had a very powerful message, and the movie was titled "The Usual Suspects." Some of you have seen it. Uh, It had a pretty complicated storyline, but the gist of it was that after the robbery of an armored truck, five known criminals, the usual suspects, are brought in by the police for questioning. And while they're in a holding cell, uh, one of the five criminals talks the others into joining forces together to commit Uh, another crime. They're going to uh, rob, uh, they're going to target corrupt police officers who are escorting smugglers to their destination, uh, destinations around the city. And so they, they join together, they agree that they're going to do this. And now because the storyline is so complicated, I have to say one thing leads to another. And then if you've ever heard of a comedian named Brian Regan, you need to look at his little uh, bit on one thing leads to another. One of the funniest things I've ever seen. But anyway, one thing leads to another, and four of the five criminals, along with a number of other people, end up dead on a cargo ship. The result of a gun battle and then the ship being set on fire. And the only survivors of this event are a hospitalized crewman of the ship and one of these five criminals, a man named Verbal Kent, who is a con artist with cerebral palsy. Kent throughout the movie is uh, portrayed as sort of a sad, unthreatening, even pathetic man who who people look at with a lot of pity. The the crewman that survived the explosion, survived the gun battle, uh, is in the hospital and he is interrogated by the police about this mass homicide And in telling his version of events, he says that he believes it was the handiwork of a criminal mastermind by the name of Kaiser Soze, a Turkish criminal with a mythical reputation. Verbal Kent, the con artist with cerebral palsy, is brought in for questioning by the police. He's granted immunity to tell them what he knows, and he proceeds to go back six weeks before the ship was destroyed, and he explains the events that led up to this mass loss of life. And throughout his telling of the events, he maintains that he doesn't know who was responsible for it, but he shares with the police what he knows, what he has heard about Kaiser Soze. He reveals Soze as a ruthless man, so ruthless that he killed his own family to prevent them from being used against him by other criminals. He presents him as someone who even among hardened criminals is greatly feared. 
He is so ruthless, his legend has grown so large, and his dealings are done so privately and mysteriously that though he is famous, many doubt that he actually exists, or some disbelieve the story entirely. When Kent is asked by the detective if he believes, he delivers this famous line. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And then he tells how one of his criminal friends used to say this, I don't believe in God, but I'm afraid of him. And Kent says, I do believe in God, the only thing I fear is Kaiser Soze. He finishes his story, he walks out of the police station. Because of his cerebral palsy, he walks with a pronounced limp. His left foot is turned inward and his left hand is withered. About two blocks from the police station, the camera pans down to his feet. And suddenly the limp disappears and he begins to walk completely normally. The camera then pans up and shows him stretching out his hand that for so long has looked as though uh, it was a withered hand. At just this time, an artist's sketch comes across the fax machine. It was 1995. It is a sketch of Kaiser Soze from the Hungarian crewman's description of what Soze looked like. And it bears a striking resemblance to verbal Kent. The detective who interrogated him then realizes what has happened. He runs out of the police station to try to apprehend him, but it is too late. He is gone. Verbal Kent, the con artist with cerebral palsy, the sad, unthreatening, pathetic, petty criminal that no one feared was in fact the brutal criminal mastermind Kaiser Soze. If you were planning to watch that today, I apologize for ruining it for you. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You know, polls can be used to say almost anything. And what I think opinion polls reveal more than anything is that people being asked what they think really don't spend much time thinking. But, but, uh, but with that negative attitude toward polls being acknowledged, uh, the Barna Group, uh, back in 2009, conducted a survey of 1,871 self-professed Christian people. And in the poll, they used a four-point opinion scale to, to ask how strongly people felt about certain statements. And one of the statements that they asked opinions on was this one. Satan is not a living being, but is simply a symbol of evil. Among self-described Christians, 40% strongly agreed with that statement. And another 19% somewhat agreed with the statement. Only 26% disagreed with the statement strongly, 9% somewhat disagreed with the statement, and 8% had no idea if they agreed or disagreed with the statement. There are just so many good jokes that, that are coming to mind, but 
They might be a little harsh, so I won't. You know, other polls show other things uh, about belief in the devil. So you can find polls that say up to 70% of people in America believe in the devil. Uh, and then there are other polls that suggest they only believe in him, like Barna found out, uh, as a symbol of evil. And so you, you can find information all over the place. Here is my own hunch uh, on the competing information. And, and here it is. I think that most people in our culture, including many Christians, do not believe in the devil in any meaningful uh, sense. Uh, I think that the Barna research is probably pretty accurate. That if people say they believe in the devil, largely what is meant by that is that they believe in him as a symbol of evil. But, but believe that there is an actual being, Satan, the devil. I think most people view themselves as much too sophisticated in 2013 to believe such things. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing people that he didn't exist. Here's something else I believe, though I have no poll to support it. Of people who do believe in the devil, most of them are not clued in to how he works in their lives, and because of that, they are virtually incapable of identifying his handiwork in their lives and standing against it. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing people that he didn't exist. Perhaps you are a person who does not believe in Satan, in the devil. It just sounds a little too incredible to you. It sounds a little too uh, horror movie-ish to you. Or maybe you're among those who believe the devil is merely a symbol of evil, but not an actual being. Or maybe you're among that percentage of people that you just really don't know what to think on the topic. Today we're going to look through the scriptures and I'm going to be referencing several, but spending time on those two that I mentioned earlier. Uh, but we're going to be looking at a number of scriptures that talk about the devil. And the first thing that I just want to point out is that Jesus and the Bible both believe the devil is real. Jesus and the Bible both believe that the devil is not just a symbol of evil, but that he is an actual being. Matthew 4 tells us about Jesus being tempted by the devil, where, where the devil came to him and he tried to entice him with certain things. And it records actual conversations that occurred between Jesus and the devil. Jesus taught about the devil on a number of occasions. The devil is referenced all through the New Testament scriptures. He's sometimes called Satan. He's sometimes called the devil. He's sometimes called the evil one. In other places, he is referred to as the thief or the accuser of the brethren. There are, there are a number of references, but they all point to this same being. He shows up all through the New Testament. And Jesus and the Bible do not present the devil as merely a symbol of evil but as an actual being who is opposed to God and who is seeking the destruction of men and women. He is real. He is your enemy. Whether you choose to believe or not, the fact is you really do have an enemy. And if you have an enemy... You better learn some things about your enemy. You better get to know your enemy. You better become wise to know how your enemy operates, what your enemy's MO 
is. And so I want to spend the next few minutes helping us to get to know the devil. And then we're going to look at some ways that we can combat the enemy of our souls. And then we are going to discover the wonderful truth about the end that is guaranteed for the devil. So there are five things that I think we need to know about the devil today. We're going to spend more time on some of these than other, but I, others, but I want to highlight all five. So look with me first at uh, John 8:44 and what it has to say. The context of what we're about to read, Jesus is speaking to people who believe they are children of God, uh, but, but are rejecting him. So they say they belong to God, but they're rejecting Jesus. And he's teaching them that in rejecting him, they are actually revealing themselves to be children of the devil. And in doing so, he sheds some light on the evil one. Here's what he uh, says. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So if you're going to know your enemy, if you're going to be alert to the character of your enemy, Jesus says you need to know that the devil is the father of lies. Lying originated with him. There has been no truth come from him since the beginning. Notice what else Jesus says of the evil one. When he lies, he speaks his native language. So he's the father of lies. Lying is his native language. You speak English. Somebody else speaks Spanish. Somebody else speaks Chinese. The devil speaks lying. It's his native language. When he speaks, that is just what comes out. It's the only language that he knows. He never speaks the truth. Now, he will subtly twist the truth, put subtle spins on the truth so that it has the sound of truth, but he never actually speaks the truth. Lying is his language. Whatever comes out of his mouth is a lie, and you need to know that about the devil. And he constantly speaks lies to us. He, he's probably spoken lies to some of us in here this very week. He speaks lies like this. He tells people that nobody loves them, when in fact a lot of people love them. He, he tells many people that they are worthless for any number of reasons, not smart enough, not attractive enough, not successful enough, when in reality people are so full of worth that God allowed his one and only son to die for them. Who would you allow your child to die for? Uh, I hope you don't feel bad, but I'm not letting my children die for any of you. It's not. God loved us so much, considered us so, so worthwhile, that he allowed his one and only son to die for us. He'll tell you your church doesn't care about you when it does. He'll tell you the Bible isn't true, but it is. He'll tell you there's no God, but there is a God. He tells you that losing yourself in a drunken stupor is going to help you somehow when all it really does is bring you more heartache. He'll tell you that an illicit relationship will make you feel better about yourself 
when in reality all it will do is destroy your family. He'll tell you that you can't overcome sin. When God says you can and promises that he has provided the power for you to do so. He'll tell you that you can't do what God has called you to do. But God knows you can or he wouldn't have called you to do it. Whatever Satan says is a lie. If you're hearing these kinds of messages, they are from the devil and they are lies because that's everything he has to say. So you have to know this about your enemy. He's a liar. Now let's look at 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15. And the next two points on your outline uh, come from this uh, text. What Paul is doing in these verses is he is warning the Corinthians about false apostles. And in doing so, he gives them insight into the devil. He, he helps us get to know the devil. And here's what he writes. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. So Paul teaches us that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. He, he falsely represents himself. He, he puts on a mask that makes him look like one thing when in reality he is exactly the opposite thing. He's like Kaiser Soze, who, who masquerades as a sympathetic figure when the reality is that he is a monster. Satan wears a mask. So that he can do his evil work without detection. He's kind of like the politician, you know, who gets caught with his hand in the public till and then sends his aides out to assure everyone, hey, there's nothing to see here, folks. Just, Just move along. Move along to the next story. There's nothing to see. You may have wondered why your bulletin is blank on the front this morning. It is a symbolic representation of what the devil tries to convince us of. There's nothing to see here, folks, so just move along. There's no devil, just move along. Sheer symbolic genius, wasn't it? (laughs) Yes, I know, I know, know. thank you, thank you, I appreciate that. The devil tries to convince us that there is nothing to see. How foolish would it be for you to believe in something as superstitious as the devil? The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. The devil wears all kinds of masks to disguise himself. He'll never really let you see him as he is because we would recoil in terror. We would run as far away as we could. We would not want anything to do with anything he has to offer us if we could see him rightly. And so he disguises himself. And he disguises himself in many ways that look very normal, look very unthreatening. Sometimes he looks like a really pretty woman 
who is willing to give herself to you, men, even though you're married and you have children. Here's what Proverbs says of an adulterous woman. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Looks good, but brings death. Sometimes he looks like a computer screen, promising you a few moments of enjoyment, promising you a few moments of a little harmless online flirting. Sometimes he looks like the man who is so much more interested in you than your husband is, so much more attentive, so much more caring and thoughtful, so much a better conversationalist. He he mesmerizes you to the point that you forget that he has a wife at home who feels exactly about him as you do your own husband. He's a deceiver. That's who he really is. But he seems so great. Sometimes he looks like a Christian friend who says, you know, all you really need is you and Jesus. You know, churches talk about all that community stuff because that's the only way they can keep people coming to them. You just need you and Jesus. Sometimes the devil looks like a serious student of the Bible. Someone who, through great in-depth study and, and great painful soul-searching, has come to believe that the Bible really never claims to say the things that the church has for 2,000 years affirmed that it says. Sometimes he looks like an emotionally injured person, injured because of some unkind treatment, either real or imagined, at the hands of a Christian or the church. Sometimes the devil looks like a counselor who out of great concern for you advises you that you should pursue a divorce even though you have no biblical grounds for doing so. The devil disguises himself as someone who is concerned for you, worried about you, desiring maximum enjoyment for you, wanting the most out of life for you. Now understand what I'm saying. I am not saying that any of these people or things are the devil. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that he hides behind them. He conceals himself behind them. He wears them as a mask. He he conceals his involvement through the power of suggestion as he gets these seemingly nice people to do his bidding. It's a mask that he wears. And you have to be wise to him. You have to learn that this is how he operates and stop accepting everything at face value. Church, we have to understand that everything is not always as it appears. What looks good is not always good. What looks godly is not always godly. What presents itself as in your best interest is not always in your best interest. We have got to be wise to our enemy. We have got to learn about him that he disguises himself and stop falling prey to his tactics. I think that every Christian should read this book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. 
It is an absolutely wonderful book. It's a, it's a fictional book. It's a fictional account of a senior demon training a junior demon in the finer points of deception on how to influence people for the evil one without them ever detecting their involvement. Fictional. But it gives you some real insight into what I believe really happens and how the devil really works. So wise up. Know your enemy. He is a deceiver. He's skilled at deception. Lying is his native language. And he's a master at looking different than he really is. And this leads us to another point that Paul makes in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen and 15. The point he makes there is that there are people, people, we're not talking about demons now, there are people who present themselves as servants of righteousness when in reality they are exactly the opposite. False teachers, false prophets, people who speak on behalf of God, people who uh, present themselves as leading others in the way of righteousness, and yet Paul says what these people really are, are deceitful workmen. They looked then like apostles. They look now And then, like church leaders, they look like servants of righteousness, but they are deceivers. They're only masquerading. The reality is that they are none of those things. And what I want to be clear that I'm not talking about here over these next few minutes, and what I don't believe Paul is talking about, is the fact that all of us, including Christian leaders, are imperfect followers of Jesus. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. We are not talking about people who really do love the Lord but are struggling to surrender some area of their lives. We are talking about people who are intentionally representing themselves as being on God's side when they are actually opposed to God and opposed to God's word. And I have to be honest with you and tell you that I think that this is a major problem facing the church today. Churches all across this land, denominations are full of leaders, deacons, ministry leaders, pastors, denominational presidents who have never surrendered to Christ, do not believe what the Bible says, are not regenerated by the Spirit of God, sadly, are not saved. Don't belong to Jesus. But they are masquerading as Christians who love the Bible when in reality they are undermining everything that the Bible has to say. Everything that the Bible teaches. And I want to just give you a little insight into when when your spiritual sensitivity, your, your false teacher radar needs to start going off. Okay? Just, just a few things to look for. You, you need to at least have your radar start to, to start to register something when you hear people say things like this. The Bible is not infallible. It's a great resource, yes. Uh, it, it is given to us by God to find some meaning within for our lives, but it absolutely is not infallible. Your radar needs to be going off. All spiritual paths and religions lead to the same place. It is a sad 
unfortunate thing that so many well-meaning Christians through the years have misunderstood the Bible to say that Jesus is the only way to be saved. Those darn fundamentalists have just screwed everything up for the rest of us, and the Bible never says Jesus is the only way to be saved. Your radar needs to start going off. Here's a good one for you. Penal substitutionary atonement. (laughs) Would anybody even say that? No. Uh, That Christ died on the cross for sinful man because death was the penalty we owed for our sin is such a barbaric concept. It's not in keeping with a God of love. Your radar should be uh, registering something. The Bible doesn't mean what it first appears to mean about sexual morality. These are just unfortunate misinterpretations that the church has held for 2,000 years, much like the church justified racism and mistreatment of women. You hear those things. Be careful. Wise up. Somebody is wearing a mask. Somebody is masquerading. Somebody is deceiving you. Christians need to get wise to the fact that everything that slaps the word Christian above it is not Christian. Many have taken on the name of Christ without surrendering what they believe to Christ. They have taken the name of the Lord in vain in probably the truest sense that you can do that. They look Christian in so many ways. They look reverend and kind and gentle and in so many ways look Christian. But they aren't. They're masquerading like their father does. And we have to be wise to such people. You you have to know that everyone who represents Christ, who says, who presents themselves as representing Christ, does not really. And you need to remember that, not only in the church, but in every area of life, including the political arena. Whether Democrat, or Republican, or Independent, or something else, everyone who names the name of Christ and claims to be acting under the influence of the Bible is not. Christians have to wise up. Stop being so naive. Know your enemy. He masquerades as an angel of light. And his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us that though the devil presents himself as an angel of light, what he really is is like a roaring lion that he's going around seeking who he can devour. He represents himself as being for you, but he actually wants to devour you. He represents himself as wanting your good, but he really wants your destruction. And he carefully, subtly, consistently works to bring about your destruction. This is your enemy. This is your enemy. And you have got to become wise to him, learn to recognize him. He lies, he conceals himself, he is after your destruction. My prayer for all of us today is that we would stop falling for the greatest trick 
the devil ever pulled. That we would know that he is real. That we would know that he is our enemy. That he is after our destruction. And that we would stop falling for his deception. So know your enemy. Be wise to his tactics. But then we need to be able to combat our enemy. To combat the evil one. And here are five things that that I just want to offer as uh, suggestions and things that we need to put into practice to combat the evil one. There's more that we could say about this, but I wanted to at least give you these five things today. The first one is, you've got to be alert. Again, 1 Peter 5.8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You've got to, you've got to be on the watch. You, 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 you can't Convince yourself that there's nothing to be on the lookout for. You've got to be alert. Stop being naive. Don't fall for his tricks. The second thing is know the word. Know the Bible. Know the Bible. In Matthew 4, as Satan tempted Jesus, the way Jesus combated Satan is by quoting the word of God to him. So you have to get the word of God in you to combat the enemy. The psalmist wrote in the 119th Psalm that he had hidden God's word in his heart so that he wouldn't sin against him. So if you'll hide God's word in your heart, you will more easily identify the lies of the devil. You'll be better equipped to surrender to God. You'll be more on guard against sin. So be alert, know the word, and the third is wear your armor. Wear your armor. God has provided armor for us to combat the enemy, and we need to use it. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12 say, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul is telling us our fight isn't against the enemy we see, but against the enemy we don't see behind the enemy that we see. And Paul tells us a number of things. He says that we're to take up the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which he identifies as the word of God. And obviously I can't take the time today to go into all of those. We probably should do a sermon series on those sometime, but do, (laughs) we have affirmation, sermon series needed. but, but do a little research yourself this week. Look into Ephesians 6. Get a good commentary that will explain a little bit about it uh, to you. And begin to take advantage of the armor of God. Fourth, Ephesians 4.27 gives us some really good advice in combating the enemy. It encourages us, quote, do not give the devil a foothold. And here would be my paraphrase of that. Don't give the devil an inch. You can have no accommodation of the devil. Because here's what happens. He, he, he is like the greasy salesman that comes to your door. If he gets his foot inside the door, he's in the house. And with the devil, the next thing you know is he owns the place. So you cannot allow the devil to get his foot in the door. And so you've got to take drastic action. 
So men, when that pretty woman begins to send signals that she might be interested in you, or women, when that, when that handsome man who's just such a wonderful conversationalist and so attentive begins to, to, to send out the signals that, uh, that, that he's interested, you need to take drastic action. You, you cannot convince yourself that you're able to engage in a little harmless flirting. You can't do it. You've got to take drastic action. And so as soon as you sense Hey, I think they're sending me some vibes. I, like, man, I, I haven't felt this in a long time, but I sense there are some vibes here. You need to do something like this. You need to walk up to them and say, listen here, I just got to tell you something. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and you're an agent of the devil. So get behind me, Satan. <laughs> and here's what, here's what I promise you. They will not be interested in you anymore <laughs> if you do that. You, you will be completely safe. From their advances. All right. (laughs) That wasn't really a serious suggestion. However, the point is a serious point that you need to take drastic action. You can give no room. You cannot allow the enemy to get any foothold. The wounded person who sides up next to you and wants to begin to unload about how everybody has hurt them and disappointed them, you need to say, listen, I'm sorry, but none of these people are here to defend themselves. And so unless you want to pull them into the discussion, I'm not sure I can can help you with this. And I could give example after example, but the point is simple. You cannot give the devil any foothold. You can't give an inch or you will turn around twice and he will have brought utter destruction upon your life. And the final suggestion for combating the evil one, uh, we covered it extensively in our series in James, James 4, 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. As we noted in that series, the devil is not used to resistance because human beings aren't very strong. He is used to his mere suggestion of something causing us to just completely cave in and fall over and do what he wants us to do. And so resist, resist, put up any fight. And the Bible says that he will flee. So don't fall for the greatest trick the devil ever pulled. Know your enemy, know his tactics, learn to combat him, and then you need to remember that your enemy is no match for your Savior and your King. And remember that though he is currently raging, his end is already determined. 1 John 3, 8, John writes, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Through Christ, Satan's end is certain. He he remains free to work for a short while longer, but his time is almost up. You know, he's kind of like a football team that is so beaten in the first quarter that the game is is over. You know, San Diego State. Um, (laughs) But the clock hasn't run out yet. The, the, the game is over, but the clock hasn't run out. And so he's running around the field trying to knock people out of the game. 
trying to break a few legs and do as much damage as he can. But his end is already determined. He is, he is defeated and his time is almost up. The game, if you will, is almost over. And here's how it ends for the devil. Satan, the evil one, the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 20.10, and the devil who deceived so many was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So don't fall for the greatest trick the devil ever pulled. He is real. He is at work in the world. He is a liar. He, he wears a mask to hide his true identity. Be wise to his tactics. Equip yourself to combat him. And remind yourself that though he is still dangerous, Christ has defeated him and his end is certain. And know this, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ in you, you can be victorious over every scheme that the evil one brings against your life. Why don't you stand?